Were you scared of the intro? That's the main thing we're concerned about. Right no, now. I love it. The only thing that starts with the uh, old movie dinosaurs is good. <laughs> that was, I don't even honestly, like, I, I think when I found that, I don't even know if it's necessarily a Kong film. I don't, I think it's like a ripoff of an old Kong film. Like it wasn't, I don't think it was King Kong. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. I'm not really as expert in that old stuff as I should be. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Where, I was like, I kind of want something like that, but I don't want to get sued. Yeah. So <laughs> even though I snagged the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, let's not. I spent my whole career at Cinefix having never seen Jason and the Argonauts, the original oh, one. Right. Even though every visual effects supervisor for many years that I interviewed said that what got him started in the business or got him interested was Jason and the Argonauts. And then it got to a point where I'd been doing it so long, I thought, well, I'm almost afraid if I watch it now, it was like a superstition. Right. I'm, I'm gonna lose my mojo now if I if I watch it. So I went my entire 41 years. Wow. Never seen Jason and the Argonauts. Wow, are you gonna hold out strong? You're still not gonna see it now? I don't know, now it doesn't matter so much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to worry about losing my mojo now. It's good. Yeah, I, you know what? It's crazy. I don't know why, but for some reason, I just watched um, a movie with my friend that I I'd always heard was great. It's um, oh my god, Tom, I'm doing that thing. I'm sorry. We were just <laughs> talking about this mini stroke thing. For me it, I really life. do. I think there's something going on. I I'm I'm like it's um. <laughs> wait, wait, what's that? Okay, uh, we're gonna play this game real quick. '80s space movie that did not go anywhere. Um uh the the guy in um the movie that Spielberg just recently did Ready Player One dresses as him it's uh Buckaroo Banzai oh there you go yeah I I not I would I just have a stroke my head slams <laughs> off it <today>. uh, <laughs> it's the last thing anybody hears from me um yeah they uh <laughs> that was I had not seen that for like the longest time but I'd heard so many like fun good things about it and that was like yeah. you know it could have been a big space movie but Star Wars like blew it out of the you know Right. Else it was, but uh, yeah, it was great. I I don't know if you ever seen that, but I loved it. I did. I saw it when it first came out, but that's been a few decades ago now. So <laughs> <laughs> it was. A, it's probably a weird movie to reference out of the blue. You're like, not what I would have gone with, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> not really proving your movie merit, John. Uh, <laughs> oh, but that's so. How did you? Uh, so you started at working at Cinefix, um, mm -hmm. and when it when it opened, how did you get started? Basically, doing like the movie uh, making of the movie stuff, though. Did that come along hand in hand with Cinefix? Yes, in a way, it did. Especially um, Don and I had done the making of Terminator Two, which was mm -hmm. before Jurassic Park. And Don had done a making of Ghostbusters that I worked with him on, but I didn't author it. So um, mm -hmm. when Jurassic Park came along, what they were worried about, they knew they wanted to do this making of book, but they thought, 
how many journalists actually can write about visual effects, especially right. the computer-generated effects. Mm. It was so new, there just weren't that many people out there that knew how to write about that. So that made them think, oh, I bet the people at Cinefix could do it. So um, wow. they, they hired us for that reason and did this beautiful thing. They brought us on like way before they even started shooting or anything. We were on back when just the art department was doing drawings and illustrations and stuff. Oh, wow. That's and what cool. kept happening after that, every time I got hired to do a book, like every time the people wanting to hire me would say, we want a book just like Jurassic Park. <laughs> By the way, we need it in six weeks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I always would have to tell them, I said, look, the Jurassic Park book is what it is because they brought us on a year and a half, or well, two years before the movie came out and a year and a half before they really were in the middle of production. So, right. Wow. Yeah. How hard was it to get, I mean, Jurassic Park, I guess they kind of welcomed you in. They did. Um, that was that was what was beautiful about the studio hired us with the blessing and I think even the suggestion of the whole Amblin team, hmm. including Spielberg. So we had complete, act. we could come and go however we wanted. Wow. Um, we knew what the little code to get to in the back door of Amblin was, you know. Wow. Um, so we could just come and go whenever we wanted. It was fat. It was great. What is that code? <laughs> I, and I wouldn't tell even just if I for did. <laughs> just for chance. Um, you can tell me later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the Terminator 2 was so Ghostbusters was the first one that they did? Yeah, Don did that one by himself. Yes. Don Shea, the publisher of, of Cinefx, who I worked with for many years. Was it kind of hard for Cinefx to sell the idea to a movie, though, that they wanted to do a behind the scenes thing? Because I feel like that was kind of new at the time. Like nobody had ever done anything like that. Um, a making of book, you mean? Yeah, book. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many there'd been. I think it was. I think it probably came along with the blockbuster thing, although I don't think anyone back then did a making of they didn't do a making of Star Wars. They didn't know. They did that many years later. They did a making of Star yeah. Wars. Really yeah. good book. Um, but yeah, it, I think it was kind of a new thing. Wow. Actually, Ghostbusters partly came about because Don had been like a consultant on Ghostbusters to help them find their visual effects people with Richard Edlund and Boss Film. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Don was also very good friends. He'd been a childhood friend of Michael Gross, who was one of the producers on wow. Ghostbusters. So I think that connection helped that. And then, uh, but that was a case where we had to do it in like three weeks. I mean, Good Lord. Yeah, it was crazy. We we basically, well, Don did these interviews and then I transcribed them. And then we literally cut the transcripts and put, we had a box for talking about, uh, I don't know, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Mm -hmm. This okay. is where we're talking about this. And this is where they're talking about this. And we put these pieces of paper that I cut out into all these different <laughs> Hats, <laughs> basically wrote it from those things. I mean, it was nuts. Wow, that that's crazy. that's crazy. Did you did you ever have a hard time with access with any of these things? Because I feel like it's a benefit to the movie, but I don't know if it was ever a hard sell where they were like, "You can talk to so and so and so and so, but stay out of this department and stay out of that department." Um, not really, because 
always the way I was never an outsider coming in. I was always hired by the production company in the studio. So cool. um, wow. the closest I came to that was with the Batman trilogy because, you know, as you know, Christopher Nolan is uh, notoriously secretive. Yeah. And so much so that he wouldn't even tell me what the real ending of the movie. He kept that so close to the chest that I, it's actually wrong in the book. The ending we have in the book is wrong, which I don't love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you guys have the ending as? And I mean, we kind of, like, honestly tried to figure out things just by looking at things we saw on the walls when we were there, you know, right. uh -huh. like drawings of things. And we were, we acted like we were being all casual, but really what we were doing is like, what clues can we get <laughs> from these models and miniatures and everything? So, Going through people's trash, like Snickers wrapper. Uh, even there, I mean, they were great, you know, I mean, yeah. they, they wanted us to, they wanted me to do it and they were great about it. That's really Except cool. For the whole ending thing. Yeah, that's I, I didn't realize that that was the that was the wrong ending that you guys. Had. Yeah. Wow. Did they have alternative endings? Like, did they try to lead you in the wrong direction? Where? No, they didn't. But they weren't gonna they weren't gonna say anything about what the real ending was either. So wow. I don't know if you remember, but it's a big yeah surprise yeah. that Cain, the child. I mean, that the child is actually the woman and yep. not I think it's and not bane yeah um, hardy character through the whole thing yeah bane yeah um so yeah that was yeah. a secret that they weren't gonna let out uh, i i'm you know i think he and his wife knew i'm not sure anybody else knew what the ending was so wow that's that's wow. impressive that they were able to do that i feel like that probably was the first iteration of like keeping those kind of movies secret because now that's all that's all it is now marvel doesn't let anybody any of its actors talk about anything and it's I, all it's been terrible <laughs> honestly and now that you know what are they going to do throw me in jail but when i um <laughs> <laughs> i they sent me up when i did the uh phantom menace book right um they sent me to Skywalker Ranch and said, well, you can stay at Skywalker Ranch and we'll give you the script and you can read it in your room at Skywalker Ranch. But then you have to give it back to us. You can't take it off the premises and you cannot have a copy. And I knew because by the time I did that book, I'd done several of them. I knew I was going to need the script. I couldn't possibly make exhaustive enough notes to 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 reference when I had to write things. So I snuck off the ranch and drove down to San Rafael to a Kinko's. And honest to God, you would have thought I was 007 or something. I was <laughs> terrified that someone's gonna catch me. I made Holy a copy shit. of it to keep for myself, which I used a million times. Yeah. So I was right. But I really was scared. I honestly thought stormtroopers were going to come into the <laughs> That is so badass, though. I love that. A girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. Yeah. That just goes to show you what you can get away with if you're quiet, if you just keep your head down, look inconspicuous, you know what you're doing. That's the thing. I look so uh, unopposing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, was it was there ever like a point where you were like, I need to go back and fix something? And then they were like, nope, production's over, wrapped up, done. <laughs> you know, and you were like, no. No, not really. It was always, you know, the books always 
book publishers take so long. I mean, it kills me. They want you to write something in three weeks and then it takes them nine months to typeset it and get it, you know, produced. And I'm right. like, seems like it should take longer to write a book than to produce it, but they take a long time. So no, it was always, the book always had to be done. Um, and was always off. And then if I made a mistake, like in the case of the Batman trilogy, it was just too late. There's nothing that can be done about it. I feel like that wasn't even your mistake, though. They just didn't give you the right you information. They didn't care either because Nolan actually, Christopher Nolan actually read the book before we sent it off. He had the final, he okayed it. And he did read it because he referenced a couple things in it to me. And wow. so I think he just decided that's between telling them the true ending or letting this book go out with this little mistake about what the ending is, um, they decided they just as soon let the mistake stay. Wow. wow. Did you guys ever particularly like go after um, um, a movie company where you're like, we really want to do a book? Like they didn't approach you necessarily, but you were like, we really want to do this book and this movie. Can we do it? Well, in Cinefix we did. That happened a lot. Nice doing Cinefix, but the books were always. I'm just sitting here on my phone rings one day, you know. They always came to us or to me. That's so cool. Yeah, I don't think they do them as much anymore because, you know, now that there are all the extras, the DVD extras and stuff, I think that's kind of taken the place of most. Uh, yeah. Books. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, probably they. I don't. I don't know if they do them like in in house or anything like that either, because I feel like. I always see Marvel turning out or Disney turning out ones like every time like a, a pack of those movies comes out, there'll be a new book that's like, you know, I think they did it for Endgame where Endgame finally came out and then they were like behind the scenes storyboarding art and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I noticed it wasn't the same as you guys doing, you know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't the same. So it must've just be done in house or something like that. I think it might be. Yeah. It's, they probably figured out it's it, maybe it's cheaper to do it that way. Yeah, I feel like you know it's. I I feel like always outside perspectives are always the best way to go, especially if like you have other people appreciate your work or your film and like that. So you just get a new set of eyes looking at stuff, and maybe they'll right. ask questions that maybe the people that are doing it in house probably won't. I don't know how how much text is in those kinds of books anyway. Isn't it mostly storyboards and artwork? Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is mostly storyboards and art with like you know the stuff on the bottom. It'll a little bit be like photo and then like yeah. a description of what's going on. You don't really need writers for that then necessarily. I mean, you True. need someone who can write a caption and stuff and little short bits, but you don't need a a writer writer. Yeah, the Jurassic yeah, Park book has like is got eighty thousand words of text in it. So right. Yeah, definitely. They definitely don't go as in depth anymore, which is a shame because it's not yeah. to figure out how to do how they actually do all that stuff behind the scenes. Um, how what was who was the biggest help to you on that on that kind of a project? Is it the the you know, the the writers, the actors behind the scene or do you guys kind of um, hang out with like the tech crew? Um, usually there was a press person who was, uh, you know, I mean, a a unit, a publicist, what I meant, a unit publicist or somebody who was kind of given that job to usher us around. So, um, uh, Jerry Schmidt on the making of the lost world, that guy was my right hand man. I mean, wow. he made sure I got in everywhere and helped set up the interviews for me. And, um, there's, that's usually who did it or, right 
it, yeah, usually the unit publicist was the our kind of conduit. On uh, the Batman thing, there was someone who actually worked for Warner Brothers and also for the Nolan Company. And sorry, I can't remember his name now, but he was fantastic. So yeah, we always had a point person. That's cool. Um, yeah. Were you able to um, basically like, you know, do your own work and then show it late. Like, cause you said that Nolan read it at the end was what yeah. you were writing kind of reviewed over a period of time, or was it at the end of a thing or were they like, you do you. And when you're done, you're done. It was, it was pretty much, we didn't present it. Well, let's see on the Terminator two book, we presented Cameron one chapter at a time. Wow. Okay. And he would, he'd sit there and read it while he was still on the set. Wow. And then he'd go, okay, sounds good to me. I don't recall him ever asking for changes on that. Cool. I mean, it was a little more corporate with the Star Wars books. There were oh, wow. certain layers of lawyers. And like, I remember I had a story in the one of the, I think the Phantom Menace book where uh, the makeup person was talking to Natalie Portman and saying, we've got to mat down your lips. You've got hot lips, meaning the lights were fitting the lip gloss she had on. Oh, and Natalie Portman laughed and said, hot lips. That's what they call me back home. <laughs> right? Well, Lucasfilm lawyers like put a line through that because it might make people think Natalie, you know what I mean? It's oh, like, that kind of yeah, the, the Star Wars book, I mean, it always cracks me up. The, the, there was more of an empire feeling, let's say that. <laughs> <with the, laughs> The best experiences were always when we were working directly with the director because the director, you know, he outranks everybody. So if Christopher yeah. Nolan said the book was fine, no one was going to come in under Nolan and say, no, it's not. If Jim Cameron said it was fine, no one was going to come in below him and say it's not. Spielberg read the Jurassic Park book before we turned it in. Wow. And that was always the best thing to do is if you could get the guy at the very top of the food chain, then otherwise you're working your way up and everybody's like justifying their paychecks, you know? So yeah. if I read this and just say it's okay, then I haven't earned my money for this month. So I've got to find something wrong with it, you know? Yes. Oh, God. That's, that's the word. It's like how many people in this world are justifying their paychecks where you're like, if you could just make this easy. It happens a lot. Yeah. The more secure the people are, and obviously the directors, especially at this level, they're very secure. They're secure yeah. in their positions. They're secure in their talent. So they yeah. don't they don't have that need that I've got to find something wrong with this just to prove that I'm awesome, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, the same thing, I wrote the Stan Winston book, you know, the whole retrospective of his career. And same thing, I worked directly with Stan. Stan was the only one who had to you know, sign off on it. Right. Wow. Were you, were you ever on set and you were like, cause I guess it didn't really, you, you weren't focused so much on what the movie was going to make after it was made. You were just worried about like the mechanics behind the scenes and, and getting that book out or whatever. But were you ever on the set of one of those movies and you're like, this is going to fucking bomb. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, did you ever get that vibe or were you not? You know, I mean, experiences come to mind, but not the making of books. I don't think so. Okay. Although it's very hard to tell. I'm sure you've been on a set. It's hard mm -hmm. to tell on a set. One thing I always tell people, because you hear people 
that aren't in the business talk about, oh, this is a piece of crap and they don't care. All they care about is like, I have never worked on anything where anybody didn't care. They always care. I don't care if it's the movie Meg, you know? Right. Right. Let's face it, not a great (laughs) But they care. They all care. The director wants it to be good. All the visual effects people want it. The art director, everybody is killing themselves to make it good. Right. And sometimes it just isn't. And they might kind of know in their heart of hearts that it's not. But that just makes them try harder in a way. You know, they're trying to save it. So, yeah. Yeah. no, I never had that feeling. I mean, but obviously, look at the ones that um, there were things about Phantom Menace that I can remember thinking, "Mm, I don't know about this. And my gosh, I was prescient, wasn't I? I Yeah, yeah, that was the... That was the exact one I was thinking. Yeah. When I was like, oh, have you ever been on the set? I didn't want to say that one out loud. I didn't want to say it out loud. I know. But like, yeah. yeah, that was what I was thinking. Because I was like, man, it must have been weird. I mean, when you hear that little bad actor, you know, playing young Anakin. I'm sorry, but he was. He's I can't think of his name, but I know exactly <laughs> who he was. Yeah. I can't think of his name either. Yeah. Um, and you hear him say, I'm going to be a Jedi. Yippee. You kind of go, I don't know. I'm yeah, going to be a Jedi. Yippee. Like, Is that the line? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it was a line because I had the script that I copied at Kiko. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's phenomenal. Uh, I'm gonna. I, I've got to pick your brain about Jurassic Park just a little bit because it's still one. It's one of my yeah. favorite movies. Yeah. We were talking a little bit uh, backstage just about how well it holds up. Um, did you guys? Did you guys know you were kind of having like a breakthrough with that technology at the time? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Incredible. That was very apparent because we had been brought in early enough that we knew that Phil Tippett. You know that whole story. Mm-hmm. How Phil Tippett was going to do the stop motion or go motion actually, and yeah, you know. And so we were there for all of that. And then all of a sudden, this huge, um, I have to say one thing. I don't know if this is not cool to say. Can you edit this out if it isn't cool? Well, anyway, I felt like the Netflix thing, because it relied so heavily on uh, Steve Williams, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I felt like he kind of threw Dennis Muren under the bus a little bit in there. It looked like that. Yeah, I felt like he did. He made it kind of seem like, um, and then you never know. It might be how they asked him the questions or something. So I don't want to throw Steve under the bus. But it, it almost seemed like Dennis was this staid conservative, and he wasn't willing to look forward, you know. And I, Well, Dennis, come on. I right. think he may not still be, but at one time, Dennis Muren earned more Academy Awards than any other human ever, you know. Wow. And was a very forward-thinking person and actually took a year sabbatical from um, from ILM to go and s- study and learn computer graphics. Now, that may have been after Jurassic Park. I'm not saying he had done that before Jurassic Park. Right. I think it was before Jurassic But anyway, Dennis was a very forward, always very forward-thinking and innovative uh, filmmaker. So I, I felt kind of bad that the Netflix thing made it like he was dragging his feet while well, that, the young pups were moving everything forward, you know. 
I'm glad you said that because I I had known a little bit about him before that, and then when I kind of watched that Netflix thing, it it didn't really put him in the best light. Yeah. But but also when you're watching it, I mean, I guess for to people wouldn't know, but they did seem to make a lot of quick cuts. Like you could probably tell, like they were framing this in a certain way and ask because right. I, I you know everything I'd read about the guy, like you said extremely innovative and open-minded and and not at all how they presented him so it was very weird that they did that but yeah well you know spaz makes for good tv too you gotta admit you know yeah. the guy's insane and i was surprised to see i haven't seen him in a few years i thought oh my god now he's getting old and he's still insane so you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah there was a yeah there was a, a there was a touch of that going on we were like yeah. this guy was on the set um yeah <laughs> But it was it was interesting. I didn't realize that there was so much uh, like a, a problem with the um, the rain. I knew there was a little bit of a problem with the rain and the T-Rex or whatever. But I didn't realize it was like literally just shutting down production all day long. Like you guys had Actually, had to. Actually, it didn't. I mean, here's the amazing thing. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you about that. Um, actually, Jurassic Park, they came in 12 days early ahead of time. They wow. shot that. Wow. Movie. 12 days shorter. And when you consider they had mechanical things and all, I mean, that's like never heard of, right? I mean, right. you know, the whole Dino De Laurentiis, King Kong, where that thing, you know, so no, they weren't shutting down. But what was happening was the agreement had been because the T-Rex had a foam latex skin, mm -hmm. that 13,000 pound thing and 20 feet tall, and it had a foam latex skin, and foam latex is what we like to call a sponge. <laughs> and so, but the agreement had been the rain would be in front of it or behind it so that it wouldn't get wet because they knew that if it got wet, it would be a disaster. But, you know, there's all kinds of plans. It's kind of like war, you know. Jim Cameron mm. once said that filming a movie is like going to war, and it is in a lot of ways. All the things you have planned just go all to hell, you know? Right. Well, sure enough, nobody was worrying about whether the rain was in front and in back of the T-Rex when they were wow. shooting. But <laughs> what happened was it just got soaked and water is heavy. Right. And so it was all so finely calibrated and all of that just went out the window. So it would perform okay. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the shooting day, it would be so heavy and so full that a crew from Stan Winston's studio would spend the whole night with air blow dryers right. and towels, and they'd spend all night drying it so it'd be good again in the morning. Wow. But actually, it did. It never slowed them down. I don't think it – there was never, like, sitting there for a day. It just meant there was a night crew from Stan Winston's studio uh, that spent all night drying it. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, because I think they kind of presented it as like it caused like this huge problem and they people well, had to work overnight. As the shooting day went, you know, it got a little dicey as the day went on because mm -hmm. uh, it started glitching a bit, you know, <laughs> heavier and heavier. So. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, what was it? That, did you guys get to talk to like Sam Neill and the kids and, and Jeff Goldblum yeah. and stuff? And uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think we talked to the kids, but we talked to the casting director about the kids. And then we talked to, yeah, we talked to the screenwriter, David Cap, and we talked to, um, uh, Sam Neill and we talked to, uh, Laura Dern, I believe. And yeah, 
Jeff Goldblum. How Everybody. weird is Jeff Goldblum? What? what? How, how weird is how we? I love. I'm a huge Jeff Goldblum <laughs> fan. I, I, but I love how bizarre. I feel like he's only gotten. And I think he leans into it. By the way, I don't know if he leans yeah. into it. I'm not sure. But like, it seems like if you watch his career from like any interviews he's done early on to now, I think he just embraced how weird yeah. people think he is. And he's like, wonderful. He's a wonderful human being. Actually, he seems amazing. I was on the set with my daughter. They actually had family night on the set for The Lost World, mm. and my daughter was, I think, like six at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I took her, and it was a night shoot, so I had her like in a purple sweatsuit to keep her warm through the night. And Jeff Goldblum walks by, and he's very tall, as you know. Yeah. So he squatted down on his knees and told my daughter she looked like a precious little Easter egg. And he talked to her for a long time, really. Wow. Which I thought, who's going to do that? I mean, I'm nobody, you know, and my daughter is certainly nobody, but he was wonderful. That's really sweet. That's good. Yeah. That's always good to hear when you're when people that you admire in the business yeah. are like super nice. Um, yeah. Did Michael Crichton ever make an appearance on the set? No. Okay. Not, not that we ever saw. I, I don't think so. Michael Crichton pretty much washed his hands of it. Um, I was think he, was did he not approve way. of it? Oh, no, he did very oh, much. Okay. But it was just kind of his way. I remember on Congo, um, who else did the making of book for Congo, which yeah. was another Crichton book and a, Love Crichton, into yeah. a movie. And I remember when I interviewed him for that, we asked him, uh, what did you think about, you know, in the book, the, the, the sign language? Well, obviously for a movie, that doesn't work very well. Right. So they decided to do this thing where she would do sign language with this glove, but that would translate to a voice thing. And so I asked him what he thought of that. And he said, oh, is that what they're doing? Like, he, <laughs> he didn't seem upset about it necessarily. Right. It's just like he had no idea. So my impression was that once he was done, he was done. And especially with Jurassic Park, he worked on that novel for like two, three years. Yeah. And he was kind of sick of the whole thing. He really didn't even want to write the first draft of the screenplay. They paid him a lot of money to write the first draft of the screenplay. But he even said, I am, I'm sick of dinosaurs. I'm sick of, you know, the um, Grant, the character i'm Alan sick Grant, of them. Yeah. i'm sick of them all you wow. know <laughs> but he went ahead and did it yeah and he said but you're going to need someone else to come in and and really polish it up because all he was willing to do was kind of do a pretty rough first draft he must have taken a page out of a uh, stephen king's books because i think I, I read somewhere that he talked he'd like give advice to other authors uh, if they were going to make a movie out of their book, and he would literally just be like, "Once you sell the rights and walk away." Walk away. <laughs> I heard a, right, an author once say, oh, "Doesn't it bother you what Hollywood did to your book?" And he said, "Hollywood didn't do anything to my book. My book's right there on the shelf." <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> way to look at it. Yeah, yeah that is a great way to look at it. Like, yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, do you have a, a like a favorite movie that you worked on that you like you know experience other than Jurassic Park or any anyone that in particular that stands out? I loved working on the Batman trilogy because I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Um, That's all. I feel like that was the that was the best one to work on because after I mean those are the best films. That that whole trilogy was incredible. It, it really was, and so I mean, really works of art in a way that I think are gonna 
hold up forever. So I just because I was, I so love him as a director and as a person for that matter. And then so love the movies and thought the movies were so wonderfully each one and how they built on each one. Yeah. By the time we get to the third one, it's so epic. And uh, I even kind of like the messages of the movies in a way, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, anyway. Um, so yeah. that, that one really stands out um, and Jurassic Park. And yeah, but I, I would say probably the Batman trilogy book. And, it, and they did, the publisher did such a beautiful job of it too. I don't know if you've seen it. I have it, seen it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful. beautiful book. They got a really, I can't remember his name either, but they got a very high-end designer for it. And uh, so that was nice to see. Yeah, I was working in a bookstore when it came out and it was, and I yeah. remember like being in awe of it. Um, did you, was it like, how were the actors on that set? Cause I have, a, I imagine they, it must've been like intense and they were all kind of focused, especially with the second movie and like Heath Ledger kind of diving into the Joker. And then uh, the dude who played Harvey Dent, whose name escapes me now. Um, um, but, Aaron yeah. Eckhart. Was that Aaron? That's Eckhart? it. Aaron yeah. Eckhart. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, were they all kind of like, were they, were they good about you talking to them and stuff or did they well, kind of have to keep the character? Well, that was not a case where we were on the set so much. We, we kind of got brought in during post-production mm -hmm. and we were there. So that's what I mean. We saw miniatures and things like that um, that were left over from the art department. But I don't remember being on the set of that one so much. You know, one thing they do now, and actually this winds up being a pretty good source, is they always have the EPK people there, the electronic press. Yeah. And those people just follow the actors around all day and record hours and hours and hours of stuff. So if we couldn't get an interview with someone sometimes we would just watch through all the epk material and then just pull out things to use but you'll notice that in all of the making of books there's really not as much from the actors there's more in jurassic park than any of the ones after that i think and honestly i'll tell you the truth the actors aren't always the most interesting interviews either you know really? it, it, it may be people, you know, the studios want their faces on the cover of the book to sell the book. But when it really comes down to talking to people, um, sometimes they are, but yeah, lots of times they're not. I mean, what are they going to say, you know, really? Yeah. It's right. not the same as talking to Stan Winston about how they built a 20-foot tall Rex, you know, there's something to talk about there. But the actors are going to say, Oh yeah, I'm so thrilled to be looking working for so and so, and right. it, you know, yeah, the the whole spiel. Uh, it, it is kind of the real dirt. I mean, if <laughs> would, that would be interesting, but they won't. So. <laughs> I heard the real dirt is always with the makeup artists. You got to talk to the makeup. You know artists. what? Those makeup artists spend so much time with those people. They get to know those people. Yeah, wow. but they're very discreet. I've never had one yet spill the beans on anybody. So. That is kind of impressive, especially nowadays, because you would think that like with, you know, people getting inst thinking they can get instantly famous on the Internet or social media, that they would just be like, like, <laughs> like every yeah. five seconds. Well, they probably want to work again. You know? That's what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Loose lips don't get hired again. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's true. They can get blackballed real fast. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, you don't want that to happen, I guess. Not for a couple Instagram likes. <laughs> that would be that would be an absolute uh, bummer. Um, was there like you saying like the actors aren't the ones you want to go to? That's why I kind of like, um, you know, a little bit what Netflix is doing, even though like you know we notice they're taking like little liberties with like like you said with like Winston and stuff. But um, I kind of like getting the feedback of like you have no idea how hard this was. We had to go to this guy to get to this. Like all the behind the scenes stuff, even just getting funding for those things is like I I love knowing how they manage to do all that stuff because nobody realizes what a process that is. Yeah. And really the studio, you know, when we used to have to try to get photographs for Cinefax, all the studio wanted to send us like for Mission Impossible, here's 10 press shots of Tom Cruise. Well, that doesn't help <laughs> us, you know, at all. And that each and each of those shots, he's at different height levels. And you're like, why? <laughs> that doesn't help us at all. Yeah. But from the studio standpoint, you're covering Mission Impossible. All they care about is Tom Cruise, you know, so... Right. Um, it was always very, I mean, it was always the hardest thing with Cinefix, not so much for the making of books. Cause again, we were working for the studio and for the production company yeah. and we had the director saying, no, I want this to be a good book. So I want it to have good pictures in it. But, um, for Cinefix, because we were outsiders trying to get good behind the scenes shots was I mean, every gray hair that Don and then later Greg, the publisher, had was all trying to get photos. It was a disaster. Wow. It was hard. That's brutal. Yeah. I didn't realize that that would be like even a thing. I feel like like you were saying the uh, Chris Nolan stuff they were very secretive with or whatever. But Avatar at the time was groundbreaking. Was that a struggle to kind of work on that set or what, did, no, did did he make no. it smooth too? They were very open. I think Cameron because we'd worked with him both through Cinefix and then the Terminator 2 had a lot of trust. So no, they were very open awesome. about everything. Yeah. No, they were great. And we were on the set for that. I was on the set for that. And, uh, you know, all the people that were doing like the helmets and the mm -hmm. performance capture stuff were excellent and very open about it. You know, so technical and I'm not, the most technical person in the world. I was nervous I could get this link to work today. It was very nice. <laughs> uh, well, you never know because if there had been a problem with it, there's no way I would have figured out how to fix it. I would have called you on your cell phone and said, Help. We, that's we've what we had, did. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, where we've had so many people do the same thing. So yeah, that, well, yeah. Good. that makes you feel better. But yeah. so, you know. Was that the first time you'd been in front of like that much motion capture? Yes, yes. He actually motion captured Don. You know, they did some really um, old, I mean, very embryonic motion capture for Titanic to uh, get the crowds when the camera goes back and you see all the people on the decks and stuff. Right. So he was just grabbing, he was motion capturing anyone who came in. And so Don is, Don Shea is in there in that crowd somewhere because I remember he grabbed him and motion captured him for that. But um, so cool. Yeah. But yeah, that was, and that was the first time I really had to kind of wrap my head around that whole performance capture thing. Mm -hmm. And these people that do this, um, they're geniuses, you know, I mean, to say that they're high tech is like really understated. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, that was always kind of, I guess if I had a gift, that was it with Cinefix and then with the making of books, you take something that's very high end and very technical 
and you ingest it and you spit it back out in a way that lay people can understand. I always figured if I could understand it, anybody could understand it. So that's I keep asking questions till I understood it. And that's, I'd say, I'm sorry if these are dumb. And they were always nice. So it's mm -hmm. not dumb. And, and I would just keep asking until I understood it. Yeah, I feel the same way about that kind of stuff because I don't know how really any of it works. And I'm, I mean, I'm good with the links for this kind of stuff, but then you can ask Tom. And it, half the time I'm like, is my mic even on? He's like, plug it in. <laughs> oh, all right. I know. You know, I've um, been on press junkets before where I'm with other journalists that would, they would like, instead of asking actual questions, you could tell they were trying to impress the people with how much they knew. Right. Like, you're a journalist. They don't care what you know or don't yeah. know. And my attitude always was, I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of the court here and tell you I do not understand this and you need to explain it. Yeah. And they actually appreciate that a lot more than they appreciate someone. Well, in episode 287, <laughs> like, you know, that whole thing, it's like nobody cares. So you're right, right. Smart. Nobody cares, you know. Yeah. No, they can see you your genuineness. That's what it is. They see you're genuinely interested. Yes, I was genuinely interested and genuinely wanted and needed to understand. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I've always said that Mark DePay, who was also featured in the Netflix thing on Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. that guy was the best. I mean, he's a computer genius, one of the yeah. first computer science graduates out of, I think it was Berkeley, um, UC Berkeley. I think it was the first graduating class of their computer science program with a PhD. And the guy is brilliant. I mean, he's so brilliant, but Mark DePay was so good at explaining it. I mean, really, he missed his calling. He should have been a professor or a teacher because he was so good at it. Wow. Um, and he's really what made me understand that process. Um, first with Terminator 2 and then with Jurassic Park. So I've always credited him for that with that. Yeah, I always appreciate people who like are willing to go kind of in depth to be super patient about stuff. And, yeah. and plus you have to assume, like you said, those journalists that you just they they have to know more than you. You know what I mean? So there's stuff that you, uh, you know, or any or any guest, even guests that I've had before, too, where I'm just like, I know this little tidbit. I don't know the back end, the front end, the middle, the behind, the, you know. Yeah. So, it's always good. Like we had a um uh, a friend of the show, one somebody I'm close to for years, but he was on Tintin, and oh, he had uh -huh. done he was Barnaby on Tintin. And Joe Starr, his name is, and he had done the motion capture suit for the first time, mm -hmm. and he was just talking about, and that was early, I think, early motion yeah, capture. That was, yeah, and the circus was, was on that too. Before Avatar, wasn't it, or kind yeah. of simultaneous? I think it was like right after. Okay, all yeah. right. It was still like super, super new and, and, uh, but it was, you know, Andy Circus was one of those guys who, yeah. who I feel like doesn't get enough credit for doing the motion capture stuff. I don't understand how Hollywood won't acknowledge that, but yeah, uh, it's a shame. What I mean, you think like he should get nominated in performance uh, categories and stuff? Yeah, something like that because all the, all the depth that he puts into those characters, like especially in, I don't know if you've seen the, um, the new Planet of the Apes films. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. But what he does with Caesar. Yeah. I mean, that that is beautiful work, and and yeah, they, it really is. They don't but consider then you it. You can't take anything away too from the you know the artists that did that character too. You know, as far as what it looks. Yeah, like. that's true. Yeah, yeah the, what it looks like. Yeah, can see, you'd almost need to give it to both of them. Give it to the visual effects supervisor and the animator, and then. Yeah. Circus give give it all three for best performance in a leading role. Caesar, 
Yeah, that's a good point. Why can't they do they, I don't know. awards to teams and stuff? That could be a, that's a that's genuinely a team because a- Andy's got to act it all out and they have to animate around what he does. Did you see um uh the Hobbit when um when um what's his name uh, Benedict Cumberbatch did the dragon? Yeah, he was like on the floor, dude. That was early, not early, early motion capture, but still kind of like right. And he was like right into that role. It was so it was so cool to see behind the scenes of that stuff. Yeah. Um, do you, is there anything? Cause I know that, are you still, um, cause Cinefax is, is over. Uh, did you kind yeah. of, I mean, was that like a sudden shift or change or did you know no, it was coming? It or? Was, no, well, it, I, we did know it was coming, but we kind of feared it was coming. Um, COVID and the lockdowns was just the final straw for us because remember how all the movie release dates kept shifting? Yeah. Yeah, I had the Black Widow article done like a year and a half ago, a year ago or something, because it was originally supposed to be released. But so we every time we try to come up with editorial, everything we had, they'd say we get like in two days, be like, okay, we've delayed this release, we've delayed this release. You know, which I understand because they're all scrambling to make it work too during that. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got we did one all streaming issue which was because it was like, okay, what can we do where we know they're not going to change the release dates on us because we right. can't publish something if the movie isn't out yet. There's yeah. no way, you know? So uh, we did one all streaming version where we did Altered Carbon and a, a bunch of things. Uh, West, uh, Westworld. Westworld, yeah. I said West Wing. Whoa. <laughs> hey, don't even, I, not, I watched that. I rewatch that whole show every year, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I have all the videos in here. I have all this um, DVDs. Oh, nice. I rewatch that. But anyway, yeah, so we did that, but we couldn't do that every issue, you know? I mean, there aren't that many. So it was that, plus, you know, we've been struggling for a while. I mean, you know, Cinefix, I don't know if you've ever read it, but, like, mm-hmm. each article was at least 8,000 words long. Yeah. We don't live in an 8,000-word article world anymore, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, for a few people, for the people who really appreciated that kind of in-depth stuff, they really appreciated it. Right. But there's just fewer and fewer people like that, you know? We live in a 144 character word now. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame though because you don't get enough. Um, yeah, you know information yeah. in that, and it's and it shows. Um, yeah. Do you think you'll ever start your own like just for? Because I know you, ba- you, you, I think you were joking that you said you're basically retired. But are, do you think about starting up your own and kind of you know still still dabbling in it? Well, the Cinefix brand is still valuable. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. nobody else did what we did and we were out there for 41 years so yeah. there are possibilities of something that can be done with the Cinefix brand is all I'm at uh, liberty to say right now fantastic that's cool though it's nice to know that yeah. uh, there's possibility there's like possibility. a phoenix I'll just take an image right out of one of the uh, X Men movies and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rising. Yeah. How do you do? You like the all the superhero genres and stuff that are coming out now? What's your take on that that kind of thing? <laughs> okay. <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> are you a Scorsese okay. or are you a James Gunn? Which one are you? <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> I was never a a visual effects person or a sci-fi person. Like I said, never saw Jason and the Argonauts. I was never that. I kind of mm-hmm. 
came into this in a very sideways way. Mm -hmm. And um, so I can't, I mean, it, my major in college was dramatic literature. I spent my whole college time studying Chekhov and Ibsen and stuff like that. Wow. sound all hoity-toity because believe me, <laughs> I'm not. But um, no, superhero movies. In fact, I joked when I when the Cinefix Cine closed, I said to my colleagues, well, at least I don't have to ever watch another superhero movie again. <laughs> oh, no. Black Widow's been out for a long time now. I still haven't seen it. Yeah. So, uh, um, see, that's why I was so drawn to, like, Christopher Nolan, because to me, he's a very literate. His movies are very literary in my mm. book, and uh, which, is, again, is not to put down superhero movies at all. Right. I think they actually play a really important part. I think we've always needed those kinds of movies, whether they're Westerns or they're gangster movies. Now they're just superheroes. Right. Um, so I have nothing against them. They just weren't ever my personal yeah. Based. So I did go to a lot of movies that I would not have gone to if not for my work, you know. Um, but, you know, once you start writing about something, you know, the people involved, you get excited about it. You yeah. Know, because you're kind of on the team, you know, it's like right. rooting for the Yankees or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I respect that so much, though, because there's so many people, especially I feel like in in the um in show business who don't even bother to watch a thing before they just decide to denigrate it and make sure you oh, know yeah. oh, which I is a shame know. you actually had to go and and sit regardless of whether you really yeah, wanted to see it or not. and some of them were really well done you know i actually thought the whole you know end game thing and yeah. the one leading up to that i thought the marvel movies were generally usually pretty good yeah um i thought you know obviously the Peter Jackson's work, the Lord of the Rings films were amazing. Was were but those were beautifully done, and and all the Planet of the Apes movies, and uh, but you know, I had to go to a few. Um, I had to cover the Great Wall. Oh, that was kind of the I low point of my career, I have to say. That is right. You should get an award just for having to do that. Oh my gosh, no kidding. I agree. <laughs> I, I wanted hazard pay for that. <laughs> but even then, even though I didn't like the movie, I still appreciate what people were trying to do and what yes. the visual effects people were trying to do. I mean, sometimes they know their work. Like I said, they know what they're working on a dog, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that that's got to be the worst thing. I mean, I think uh, Seinfeld used to talk about that. Why he said he didn't want to do movies, I guess, early on is like I can't imagine being trapped on a movie set I know is bad. Yeah, for like six months at a time, going, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> you know, there's too many uh, hands in this in this uh, soup and all that other stuff. The intensity on a set, though, is like people in a ER trying to get someone to come back to life, you know? Yeah. I mean, even if you know it's kind of the patient is dying, they're all in there really crying. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Battle's clear, you know, they're, they're really trying. Do you feel any kind of like, um, you know, because, you know, they've got the new Jurassic Park ones out with uh, Chris Pratt, the uh, Jurassic yeah. World and stuff. I don't know if you saw those, but they've got the the latest one coming out with the original cast back in. Does that kind of like 
do you like that kind of nostalgia stuff or do you feel like leave the stuff in the past and well they're gonna do it as long as they can make a buck right 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 obviously you know yeah, yeah, yeah. but i don't think they're i don't think any of them including the lost world for that matter i don't think any of them since the original has been as good as the original i know and you know i was uh kind of to prepare for this i was kind of going back through the jurassic park making of book kind of just to get my memory refreshed and mm -hmm. one thing that i think it was rick carter the the uh, production designer said that one of the reasons jurassic park worked was because the park wasn't finished yet right. so it didn't have that whole gloss that disneyland gloss yes. or disney world gloss that it would have 10 years later if it had gone well and if it was finished and i thought gee i think that's partly why the jurassic world movies don't work as well because they do have that gloss that a yeah. long established amusement park or has you know everything's very shiny and very you know you look at all the park stuff there's a big wooden king kong gate and there's you know the visitor center even is like bamboo and you know it has this very kind of rustic it's not all glossy and shiny with a whole bunch of, you know, lunch pails and yeah. there's yeah. that one shot in the gift shop. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. And then they've got those balls that they kind of travel in. There's no, you know, it seems very futuristic as opposed to just a Jeep, a guy in a hat exactly. with an Australian accent. Yeah. See, and I, I had never thought of that before I was rereading this that Rick Carter said. I thought, you know, that's a really good point. I think that is partly why the first one, and plus it was the first one. That's always. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, speaking of merchandise, my big claim to fame, and it is amazing how many people have mentioned this to me through the years. In the gift shop scene, right before we get to the flea circus eating ice cream scene in Dress mm -hmm. Park, the camera moves through the gift shop and the camera does this past merchandise and it stops for one second on a book that says The Making of Dress Park by Don Shea and Jody Duncan. Oh, oh wow. At one time when Don was at Amblin doing interviews, he ran into Spielberg in the parking lot and Spielberg, he was getting in his car, but he said, I got you in the movie. And Don told me that later. He said, Spielberg said he got us in the movie. And we were like, what? We knew there'd never been a camera on us. You know, we <laughs> got us in the movie. So we didn't even know that ourselves until we're sitting there watching the movie. And it's like, oh, my God, we got our names in the movie anyway. So. Yeah. Any, listen, any excuse for me to rewatch Jurassic Park again? Is yeah, not, there you uh, go. Yeah. Now I'm just going to go back and, and check out that scene. Yeah, that's my, that's my brush with greatness is... Uh, do you have a favorite Hollywood story? Like a favorite story from all your years on all these movies, all these different sets? Is there a favorite moment that stands out to you? Oh, gosh. That's one of those questions that I'll think of it after we say goodbye. <laughs> that's when you'll call me. I got it. Well, I know one of Don's is Don was in the cherry picker crane with mm -hmm. Cameron down in Baja, Mexico. Uh, for that shot of going way up to look down on the Titanic. Mm -hmm. And I was wow. in the cherry picker with him and he said it was scary as hell because that thing went up high. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's one of his. I don't know why it's easier for me to think of his than mine. I mean, you know, I've had a lot of, 
I had wonderful experiences in this career. I was going to be a drama teacher. That's what I was going to school for. And um, Don kind of pulled me away from that. He said, well, what do drama teachers make their first year? And so I looked it up and found out and he said, okay, I'll pay you that to start writing for Cinefix. And I said, ah, okay. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, but I mean, it's really, it's been exciting. You know, I've had, I've spent a lot of time at Skywalker Ranch. I didn't know this, but there are people who have been at ILM for years. One, a really big animator there named Rob Coleman who I think was the animation supervisor on a lot of the prequel movies, mm -hmm. um, who one time said to me, what was Skywalker Ranch like? What was it like to stay there? And I said, you've never stayed there? He goes, no, I've never stayed there. So, I mean, oh that God. was cool. I didn't even know how cool it was, you know. I right. kind of realized it later how cool it was. And, um, you know, I've had lunch with George Lucas a couple of times. and Wow. I used to pick my daughter up from high school, and one time as I was dropping her off in high school in the morning, I said, I'm not going to be able to pick you up, and can you get a ride home from school? She said, yeah. How come you can't pick me up? And I said, because I have a 3 o'clock interview with George Lucas. And my very smart-ass daughter said, well, yeah, that happens with all my friends. So, you know, it was a very... You know, and in a weird sort of way, it was good that I wasn't a fanboy. You know, mm. we had writers mm. who wrote for us occasionally on Cinefix, and we found if they were too much fanboys, it didn't work out. Sometimes the fanboys don't have good boundaries. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they would go on chat rooms and say, Ugh, you know, and they'd spill stuff they weren't supposed to be spilling and all, because they just couldn't resist being a person in the know, you know. Yes. I think it protected me in a lot of ways, the fact that I wasn't a big fanboy for all this stuff. I didn't know, I hadn't watched science fiction growing up or anything, so I kind of had a distance from it that was actually good from a journalism point of view. And they could probably tell right away that you were chill and like a, you know, cool to have yeah. stuff. That's yeah. awesome. Right. Exactly. So I'm sorry. I don't think that's a very good answer to your question. No, no bad answers. I got a, I got a question for you. That's going to be the, it's going to break the whole internet. All right. Ready? Steven Spielberg. Yeah. James Cameron, Chris yeah. Nolan, who wins in a fight? Oh, it's you gonna do uh, the other oh, physical fight? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> fight to the death. Who wins? <laughs> I'm not gonna answer that. I I love that you thought about it though. You I actually took me through it, and I have an answer. But I'll tell you that <laughs> the most determined and scrappiest is Cameron. So oh, I I'm gonna put my money on him. I think. I've seen in every interview I've seen him and he's a little scary, like in a good way, like in, in the, and then like even in an interview. Yeah. You he's, can see he's intense. He's mellow though. I think um, I've seen him on some things recently that I think, uh, you know, he's, you could tell he's kind of, mellow. Yeah. yeah, he's a very intense, he's a brilliant, talented beyond words, human being, you know, and yeah. he's intense and He's he had big visions and got big things done and is still doing big things. And so, you know, you're not going to get a chill, easygoing kind of guy who has all those qualities, too. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. I'm amazed that like it's 2021 and people still don't understand that 
uh, directors, artists, actors are temperamental. <laughs> like, like, you know, and they can, they can kind of shift and lean in one way or the other about it. Cause it, it seems like we're living in a, in a really weird time where that's like, you either have to be perfect all day long. Oh and, yeah. And, you or know, you and, wind up on, on Facebook or social media. Yeah. 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 Where they're like, so-and-so yelled is, at me. Someone who wasn't temperamental. I, I don't think most people understand what making a movie is like to have that financial pressure, the time pressure, where if you go a day extra, that's several, that's many, 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 many thousands of dollars. And right. you got the studio breathing down your neck. Anybody, it's like, look how people act at weddings during weddings, for instance, you know? Okay, yeah. a wedding is nothing compared to, and so, but you get these bridezillas and everything, everyone yeah. goes, thing and that's just from a wedding you try mounting a 20 million dollar uh movie where it's all on your shoulders as the director really is yeah. far as if this doesn't go well you're gonna get blamed i mean that's who a really that's a really good analogy to yeah. put it to, that's a really yeah. good way to put it in perspective like we tolerate it for people who are having a wedding it's a once in a lifetime thing right you know with yeah. not as much money as a studio Cause like, I, I think it was, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know too much about the details of all this other stuff, but I know, uh, Joss Whedon, I think gotten some kind of hot water, like, cause yeah. back in the day of Buffy, the set, some of the actors was like, you know, he yelled at me and a thing. And I'm thinking like he was 30 at the time, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. his first giant TV deal constantly under pressure. Like, yeah. would it be easier to just call the guy and be like, Hey, I got a little bit of a beef instead of immediately going to the press. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I it's agree. such a weird totally. thing. Yeah. We, we <laughs> used to have a concept of actually forgiving people for not being perfect, just like you were saying, you know? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, I was on movie sets a lot, a mm. lot. And I honestly saw very little. And it's not because they were worried about me, because I was, it's not like I was outside journalist that was then going to go to People Magazine or something. I was, right. part, of, I was part of the crew, basically. So I, uh, you know, I, I think they were being themselves. And I'm very rarely, you know, occasionally a little snippy here and there, but yeah. um, very rarely. It was all pretty, the actors too, everybody, they, they were pretty good. Did you ever get the, like the bug to do, uh, you know, being on those sets or anything like that to, to kind of get into the acting game or maybe direct a little bit or write something like that? Did you ever really want to like dive into that world or were you just comfortable doing um, like writing about it? as opposed I was, to being in it. I was fine writing about it. I come from theater, you mm -hmm. know, I come from theater. It was never film. And I've done a lot of acting and directing in theater. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I, I, there was nothing about being in the movies that ever appealed to me. Wow. And less so from this end after all these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that. No, I mean, for one thing, it's like, a, it's a whole lot of hurry up and wait, you know, that there's you just yeah. around all day waiting for the lighting that yeah. just so, I mean, it's, it's boring. A lot of it's boring. It's intense and then it's boring and uh, neither one is particularly fun. So right. no, <laughs> people do. don't realize how much time you just spend doing fucking nothing sometimes or some days or whatever. And then also, you know, how quick a script can change if they don't like something and how fast yeah. you have to re-remember a lot, like right. doing three new pages of lines and we got to get it done by, you know, in an hour. It's insane. Yeah, exactly. So no, I never, 
even before I, I was never drawn to that. And then certainly having been peripherally a part of it for so many years, um, there's nothing very appealing about it at all. I always thought it's like who had the best job there. I think actually the makeup people in a lot of ways, because they do. They come in early in the morning and they chat up the guy in the makeup chair, the girl, and you know, it, yeah. I actually thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Except for the dude that has to do the you know, forty-hour prosthetics on uh, you know one of the one of the uh, guys in Lord of the Rings to make him look like a monster, whatever. <laughs> like. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember this from Terminator 2, but Jim Cameron had considered having Arnold Schwarzenegger play both the T-1000 and him. And then maybe put some kind of weird prosthetics on him for the T-1000 character. Right. What he said to us, and this in the book was, but then I rejected that idea because I didn't want him to be in a makeup chair for six hours every day and I didn't want Arnold Schwarzenegger to be mad at me. Or to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants that. Yeah, no one wants that. So that's partly um, why I did that. I do have a favorite thing I ever got out of um, a movie. So I have, they let me have, they ordered it for me even. I've got from the Lost World a crew jacket and it is beautiful. It is leather. Oh no! Way. I mean, it's like a five hundred dollar jacket for sure, even wow. without the Jurassic Park crew thing on it. Right. That was because my man Jerry Schmidt, when he was putting the order in for all the cast and crew jackets, he added me to the list. So that right. was a pretty awesome. I really can't wear it because it's heavy. It is so heavy that it's like, and I live in Southern California. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> I'm old enough to wear it. Once every decade or something, but right. I have it proudly hanging in the closet. Beautiful. Nice. And that if I'm nice. ever destitute, you know, I know I can go on eBay. And- <laughs> Let me tell you something right now. Don't go on eBay. I'll buy it. <laughs> What's your best offer? <laughs> <laughs> the Cinefax Jake just ended. Give it time. Let it wear it a little bit. Yeah, that's right. I'm yeah. I'll be here for a while. I got okay. All right. We'll talk again in ten years. Absolutely. So let's make it five. But let's. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. That's so. That is so. That's so sweet of that dude to do that. To it put you on the really list. was. That was awesome. Okay. That's a beautiful gesture. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Do you keep in touch with any of those guys? Jerry, very occasionally. I just saw him at the VES Awards a couple of years ago, and uh, he's gone on to other things and actually wrote a making of, or not a making of book, but he wrote a book about the uh, about peanuts, about the comic strip peanuts. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, exactly. I love that. I've- yeah, I don't know very much about it either, but he happened to mention that to me. And uh, oh, yeah, I still have people. It's funny. I'm still on the list for a lot of the studios. I keep getting uh, publicity updates from uh, Disney and from uh, Universal from a few of the studios because they've still just got me on their list, even though I wrote them all very sad goodbyes and everything. So uh, <laughs> but I figure it's good to know just in case, you know. You yeah. Know, as I said, if the Cinefix brand uh, rises like a phoenix in some other form, it would be good to still have all those contacts. So I bet it will. I think it will. Sure, I, well. I, I, I'm, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for you because yeah. it's, it's 
that's sitting, that's something that shouldn't go away forever. Yeah, that's what everyone told us. It was unbelievable when we closed how many people wrote. And, you know, it was just amazing. Yeah. And then uh, Seagraph just did a big celebration of Cinefax uh, panel thing. Um, and they had surprise guests. Dennis Murin showed up. And it was oh, all wow. Zoom, of course, because the whole sure. Zoom was Zoom this year. But, but Dennis Murin and Richard Edlund and... Um, yeah, it was fabulous. Everybody's really given us a nice send off. Yeah. Maybe give it a year. Maybe you guys can start doing something virtual or maybe something like that or taking it yeah. in a different direction. That'd be, yeah. that'd be sweet. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to keep you any longer uh, than I said I would, but I got to ask you one last question. We ask everybody on the show. Uh Oh, uh, it's not going to be anything. <laughs> I, know, I know. She's like, and we're done. You're not going to do like that guy <laughs> at the end of the after studio. You know? No, 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 no. Thank you. No, that died with him. Um, so, um, uh, no, but we just like to know, uh, if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, is there any piece of advice, uh, you would give yourself that would help you out now? Like if you had, if you had the opportunity to tell yourself something, what would it be? Like a child young or just young? Young at any age, any, any age that yeah. you thought you could have benefited from what you know now. You know what? It took me a long time to learn. I was a writer. I didn't know I was a writer and it was Dawn that kept saying, you're a writer. And I go, no, 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 no. I would have told myself you're a writer. So I would have started writing much earlier. I was, I was in my early thirties when I started writing. Mm. So, um, yeah, I would have told myself, and you know, what made me realize it was partly Dawn, but then I went back to college later uh, and Every time I wrote a paper, I'd get this thing from the teacher, from the professor saying, this is excellent. You're an excellent writer. Can I use this as a sample paper for other students? I mean, it was happening over and over. So between that and Dawn, I kind of went, well, okay, maybe I am. I just had never considered it. I'd always been like a theater geek and doing plays all the time and stuff. So that's what I would tell myself. Get off your ass and start writing in your 20s instead of Mm. your 30s. Um, because you are a writer. I just didn't know it. That's, that's, really? all, that's crazy. I'm not, well, now I got to ask you a, a couple more questions though about that. Was it <laughs> like a, cause I'm just, it's funny that you say that because I still like, you know, I've written for, um, you know, a couple, couple different TV shows. I've written jokes for comedians and stuff. And obviously I write for myself, but I, when I was, when I was younger, I thought that writers felt like writers. I didn't realize that writing felt horrible sometimes and that you My are writing does feel horrible sometimes i said i, I was not aware of that <laughs> i said i've always thought writing is like the uh, digging ditches of the arts and he said you're absolutely right and i should know because i used to dig ditches for a living chris carter said that to me wow, yeah. wow. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing yeah it was but uh, yeah well yeah what was like I mean, holding you? Was it was it self doubt or was it just that you yeah, didn't realize your own talent? I ever, I just didn't know. Nice. You know, it was just nothing I'd ever considered. I think in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be a writer, but I just didn't think I had what it took. Yeah, I guess it was kind of self doubt, and you know, once I had children, I realized the importance that you play in kind of mirroring to your kids this is what you're good at. I can see that you're good at this. 
I just didn't have parents that did that, you know, nothing against them, but I had parents of the old school that felt like as long as they threw slop on the table and had a roof over my head, they'd done their duty by me, you know, there was no sensitivity or, or, but I was very aware with my daughter of making sure she knew you seem to be good at this. This doesn't seem to be your forte. Not real pushy, but just kind of giving her a little sense of herself, you know. And I just didn't have that at all. I had no sense of myself at all coming out of high school and even going into college and stuff. The only thing I'd ever been good at was acting and then later some directing. And, and, uh, you know, that's all I knew. Wow. But so... that's that's great um and thank you so much for coming on and for uh talking to me i mean that was a blast i felt kind of looser you know the netflix thing i was very aware (laughs) (laughs) oh my god in case this goes out to eight million people i'm you know better right 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 i say and i knew there's all kinds of corporate concerns there and stuff so right it feels very not corporate to me so i felt kind of (laughs) is it my messy room and blurred background (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you felt comfortable. That means a lot. Yeah, it was we, we fun. Yeah, you're you're good. You're good. At, you both are making Thank people you. feel Thank comfortable. You. So yeah, it was good. Thank you so much. This has been this has been a blast. So I hope we keep good. in touch. And uh, if you ever want to come back on, if you've ever got anything to promote or whatever you want, just let me know. I will keep that in mind. Awesome. Or if you ever want to spill any of that inside info, you still get it. Oh yeah, <laughs> whatever you held out on. See, that's free. the thing about Cinefix maybe coming back in some form. I can't burn any bridges. I'm not saying burn. You know, bridge. we'll put a I used in front to of joke that the last issue of Cinefix, we would just spill all the beans. You know, mm. we'd say, okay, here's what. But um, when it really comes down to it, you realize you can't really burn those bridges. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yet, anyway. You know what? When you're ready to get rid of the jacket, you slip me something in the pocket. I'll read it on there. There There you go. go. John's very good at burning bridges. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little more cautious. Uh, I I should be. Uh, <laughs> God, no! I think the pandemic made me a little bit more, you know, arsonist light, Matt. You know, <laughs> great idea for a podcast during the the thing, though. Yeah, yeah, was, burning bridges. It was a great idea. No, but I mean, oh. podcast was a great idea for. Oh yeah, you know, for during the pandemic, totally. Which yeah. is like, is insane to me. It's like. I feel like ha- the country's just gone, or not the country. I feel like the world has gone, yeah, crazy, it, both ways. You know, not yes, just yes. one direction. It's just gone completely crazy. It has. It's it's scary because it doesn't ever feel like we're ever going to get to coalesce again. And we're yeah, just, and and the nor you know the the ones who are just trying to live their lives and do whatever are kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah, you know, of these two That's lunatic fringes. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like, hey, I got the vaccine. I got the vaccine as soon as I could get it. Yep. And once I had the vaccine, I was done. Mm-hmm. I went on with life. That to me is the middle of the road position, you know. Mm-hmm. But you got people way over here who are pissed off because you got the vaccine, and people over here are pissed off if you're not wearing a mask in your own house, you know. And it's like, wow, you just win, man. They're looking through your windows. Is she missing in the Um, And all of a sudden, it seems way more normal to have a park full of dinosaurs than it does in real life. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know, Just yeah. I'm like, make I with know. that woolly mammoth scientists. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. Thanks a lot. I Thank hope so it's right by you. Oh, you, yes. you were fantastic. That was okay, beautiful. Good. Yeah, loved Thank every minute so of much. it. It was excellent. Thank you so much yeah. for coming out. Dystopia tonight. No, it wasn't. That was such a good interview. And if you missed any of it, make sure you the interview. Am I trumpeting? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Your trumpeting was excellent as well. (laughs) I should have closed right there on that. (laughs) Click. Tokyo tonight.